You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Good morning. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word this morning? My name is Barney Giles. Uh, My wife and I co-lead a community group here. Uh, Glad to be here this morning. Uh, May we still our hearts so that we might hear God through his word uh, this morning. Matthew 15, 10 through 20. And he called the people to him and said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks. All right, let's pray as we receive this together. If I could high-five all of you kids... I would do so because you're already being really good. So great job, kids. Keep it up. Keep it up. Let's pray now. Father, uh, we just thank you so much for speaking to us. And we confess that as people, we, we need to hear from you. Not just so we can know what you're about and know what you're like and what your intentions are for us, but so that you can make us the people who you want us to be. Would you do that work of transformation here today in each heart, young and old alike? Would you come, Lord, and and help us to see the ways that we have been defiled, that we might turn to Jesus and come to him for cleansing? And we pray this in his name. Amen. A number of years ago, I was on sabbatical, and Emily and I, my wife and I, we went to Scotland on a two-week trip amazing time. We're out on the Outer Hebrides Islands there. And uh, after getting sticker shock and finding out how much it costs to fly directly to Scotland, (laughs) we chose to fly to London and then take the train up to Edinburgh. And I had done this a couple of times before. I thought, yeah, it's a piece of cake. I know what I'm doing. And so uh, 
the cool part was, as we made that plan to take this train up to Edinburgh, we found out that there was what they called a sleeper train, that you could actually get in London and then sleep on overnight as you, as you make your way up to Scotland without losing any time, so to speak. So we took our nine-hour red-eye flight from Seattle to London, and guess what we didn't do on that flight? We didn't sleep, that's right. <laughs> and we landed then, I think if I remember right, it was around lunchtime and in London, and then our, tra our train up to Scotland left that night at midnight, and Emily and I, we had this crazy idea that it would be fun to walk all over London with our suitcases. <laughs> um, we were wrong. <laughs> We were wrong, and after a few hours, we went to the train station because we were just exhausted. We just sat there in the train station waiting for our train to leave, felt like it was never gonna happen. And we we're like, man, good thing that we can sleep on the train, right? Wrong, we were wrong. You ever drive in a car where the shocks are kind of worn out and busted, and then you go downtown to those cobblestone streets, and you're like this the whole time? That was what was going on on this train, you know what I'm saying? And, and on top of that, if you can just try and imagine what this was like, the noise of the train wheels on the track, I mean, is like louder than a rock concert, you know what I mean? And that's what it was like on the sleeper train. When you, when you boarded, they actually gave you a mask and earplugs, but guess what those didn't help you do? <laughs> Sleep, right? And the next morning, we arrived in Scotland and we dragged our half-dead bodies off of this train and you know what I wanted more than anything in the whole wide world? Good guess, but you'd be wrong. Coffee. <laughs> you know, actually, I didn't really want coffee. I wanted to take a shower because I hadn't had one in like, I don't know, 48 hours or something at that point. I wanted to wash and feel clean. And the good news was, they had showers right there in the train station. And the thing, the thing was that, that, that I didn't know is that the train was supposed to give you a token so that you could use them, and I didn't learn that until I got to the shower's entry, and when I showed the, the attendant there, told me that I needed a token, I showed him my ticket, and he said, well, you rode in the poor class, you rode in the, the coach area, and the shower is only available to the first class passengers. I wanted to cry. I, I might have even cried, I don't know, I was so like emotionally frail at that point. And after pleading with this guy for a while, he kind of did one of these numbers. He kind of was like looking around, like making sure his boss wasn't watching. And he's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And he let me in and I took a shower, friends. And let me tell you, that was one of the best feelings of my entire life. And I say that without any reservation. It's not hyperbole. Like it was incredible. I came out of there feeling like a new man. You ever feel like that? It's such a good feeling. Many of us have had that same sort of an encounter, not with a shower, but with God. You know, you spend years and years trying to ignore the filthiness of your own heart, but eventually it comes to a point where you can't ignore it anymore. And you begin to stare straight into your own filthiness, your own brokenness, 
And at that point, when, you're, when you see it clearly for the first time, it becomes overwhelming to you until you come face to face with the remedy, until you turn to Jesus for healing and he forgives your sin and he cleanses your shame and he renews you and you walk away feeling like a new person. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. Give me some amens here. And I know you kids can help me with some amens if the adults can't, okay? But you know what the sad thing is? You know what so many of us are inclined to do instead of turning to Jesus? We're inclined to try and climb back up that rabbit hole or try and spit out the blue pill, if you will. Try and go back to a place of ignorance. Try to pretend like your heart really isn't that dirty. Another way that people tend to go is they get so used to their own sinfulness that you begin to embrace it. You feel like you have no other choice. But friends, our bodies are not the only thing that needs washing. And my hope is that as we study this story today, we would all see that while we can wash our own hands, we cannot wash our own souls. This week's story that we're looking at is actually a continuation from last week's story. And last week's story, we saw this showdown with Jesus and the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. And it was over a matter of why Jesus' disciples didn't follow their traditions by washing their hands when they ate. And Jesus rebuked these religious leaders for breaking God's commands for the sake of their own traditions, and ultimately, he rebuked them for pretending that they loved God when their hearts were actually far from him. And so once Jesus is finished with these religious leaders, he actually turns now to the crowds that were present there with him for some teaching and some explanation of what just happened. And in verse 11, this picks up by saying, it is not, Jesus says, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Now, see, this is Jesus' main point of this whole section. What's his point? It's that it doesn't really matter what goes in, but what comes out of a person's mouth. That's what defiles, or if you want to think of the word pollutes, that's what pollutes a person. Now, I'm guessing that most of us can recognize that Jesus isn't talking about barf or spit coming out of someone's mouth. Amen? Right, kids? Is that what he's talking about? No. No, he's talking about words. His point is that a person's words reveal what's inside of them, deep, deep down inside of them. And you know who doesn't like talking about what's deep down inside of them? People who are prideful. People who have something to lose when their hearts are exposed. And you know what those people do when they are exposed, when that truth comes out? They try to make you feel bad for exposing them. And that's exactly what happens here. Verse 12, then the disciples came and said to him, that's Jesus, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? So imagine with me, if you will, Kids, it's like the Pharisees are going up to Jesus and going, Jesus, you hurt our feelings when you said our traditions aren't as good as God's commands. 
take it back, Jesus. That, that hurt. And of course, I'm saying that I'm glad one person, one grown-up is laughing. I don't know if the kids have even heard me. Uh, <laughs> of course, I'm kind of playing around with this. They, they were perhaps less whiny than this, but it does say that Jesus offended them. Why? What, what was it that offended them? It was because they wanted to believe that all they had to do was wash their hands rather than come to Jesus to wash their souls. And he probably offended them, friends, on purpose. Think about that for a minute. Jesus probably offended them on purpose because what was it that they found offensive about what Jesus had said? It was the truth, right? It was the truth. Jesus exposed the truth that they were putting on a show to make it look like they loved God. That is pure evil. There's nothing more evil than that. Putting on a show to make it look like you love God when you really don't. And so they needed this strong rebuke from Jesus. They needed to repent. And I wonder, as I'm saying that, how that sits with you. How does that sit with you? Are you okay with the fact that Jesus offended people, that he spoke the truth, that he rebuked evil. Friends, the temptation that we face as Christians in an increasingly hostile culture is to make a Jesus in our own image, to make a Jesus in the image of our culture, one that values what our culture values. A Jesus who imagines a world where everyone is autonomous and gets to be a master of their own destiny. A Jesus who imagines a world that has no real authority. But you see, that's a Jesus who is not Lord. That's a Jesus who isn't the eternal son of God who created us. And if he didn't create us, then he also doesn't have the authority to determine right from wrong. See, that's a Jesus who will never speak the truth, who will never offend anyone. But you know what? That's a Jesus who also doesn't love people. That's a Jesus who can't save people. And frankly, that's a Jesus who is not worthy of our worship. Can I get an amen? Amen. The very fact that he is willing to offend people for the right reasons, for truth and love, is what makes him so glorious, friends. It is what makes him so beautiful. And so the real Jesus that we see here, he takes this whole thing in stride. He isn't swayed by this news that they've been offended, and he responds with, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. You guys ever read the Gospels, and Jesus is kind of, you know, he's kind of moving along here, and then all of a sudden it's just like, 
He, he takes like a total spin and you're like, what in the world are you, how did you make that turn? I don't even know what you're talking, why are you talking about plants, Jesus? What does all of this mean? <laughs> well, this comes back again to what we talked about last week, to man-made traditions versus God-given commands. See, the religious leaders were planting a lot of seeds, a.k.a. new rules, right? And even if those new rules grew up into plants or traditions, Jesus is saying they won't last. They won't last because in the end, only what God said will stand. And as I read this, I couldn't help but immediately think back to Isaiah chapter 40 and 1 Peter 1 where it says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Only what our heavenly Father has planted will remain to the very end. Only his word will stand. And you see, here's yet another reason not to trust in traditions as commands. You know, as Christians, we shouldn't be fussing about some nonsense rules. We should be devoting ourselves to planting seeds, seeds of the kingdom like we sung about earlier. We should be doing justice and loving mercy. We should be devoting ourselves to loving God and loving what he loves. Then and only then will we leave a legacy in this life. Then and only then will we plant seeds that actually last. After Jesus introduces this concept of plants, he's walking along again and then he just turns again and here's a whole other analogy that he changes to, verse 14, he says, let them alone, that's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Jesus says, let the Pharisees alone. Don't even waste your time worrying about whether you've offended them. Why? Because they are blind guides. And I found a, a, a painting from back in the day, if you can see this here, a painting that someone made, I don't know, in the medieval era, Renaissance era, of blind guides. And then, as I was looking for it, I found a modern version of it, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> They're the blind guides. <laughs> so you can go back and forth there a little bit. There you go. <laughs> this, this, this quote here of Jesus is actually where we get our idea of the blind leading the blind. This is its origin. And Jesus says that if you follow blind leaders, not only are you also blind, but both of you are going to walk into a pit together. Now, last week, if you were here, you heard me talk about the pit of the Pharisees. I said, it's nasty down there. You don't want to go in there. It's nasty. It stinks, right? And I didn't realize it. I thought I made that up. Uh, I thought I was pretty clever, but I didn't realize I actually took it from Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, I must have subconsciously imported it from this week's text, uh, text last week. But here is yet another reason not to follow people who make traditions into commands. They'll lead you right into a pit. And here's the most deceptive part about it. 
all along the way, as you are following them, you will think that you're the ones who have it right. You're the ones who are on the road that leads to life. That's, that's, that's the message that you're being given. Yeah, we're, we're going down the road that leads to life, not like all those sinners out there, not like all those wrong people over there, and then you fall into the pit and you realize, oh, hold up, the sinners are in here too. They're in here with us, we're here together. And it's because you can get defiled in two ways. You can get far from God in two ways, either by playing the religious game or by playing the rebellion game. And you may take different paths to get there, but you end up in the same pit in the end. That's what Jesus is saying. And you might be like, well, okay, I get it. That's, we can stop talking about it. It's pretty simple, right? And yet, while it may make perfect sense to us, I think the disciples are a little tiny bit dense, okay? Here's what happens. Peter said to him, verse 15, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Okay. Don't get... Don't miss what Jesus is saying here with all this kind of wonky language. It's not really how we would talk about it, right? I want to help you to understand what Jesus is saying by giving you um, my own translation, okay? Call this translation the JBV, the Joel Brown version. Um, it's a paraphrase. Dang, man, I thought that was going to land. That joke to me. <laughs> The JBV, guys, come on. It's a paraphrase. Okay, so here's, here, imagine, imagine how Jesus is responding to Peter and the disciples. He says, dude, Peter, come on. Do you seriously not get this? Are you being deliberately dense? Jesus says to Peter. Okay, okay, fine. Let me explain. When you eat something, Peter, you put it in your mouth, right? Peter says like, yeah. Kids, you get that? When you eat something, you put it in your mouth, right? Yeah. Then, then where does it go? Yep, Jesus says. goes right down into your stomach. And then what happens, boys and girls? <laughs> That's right. You poop it in the potty. Okay. Grody, Jesus. <laughs> He's like, seriously, guys, you're this dense. What? Wha- Hold on, is Jesus talking about poop? Yes. yes, Jesus is talking about poop. The Greek here literally says it passes into the stomach as an expelled into the latrine or the, or the toilet. Why on earth is Jesus talking about poop? <laughs> Isn't that a little weird? He's just showing that food that goes through your system and out again, it can't defile you. On the other hand, What comes out of your mouth is from your heart, and so it can defile you. And then he continues, he says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. Out of the heart come murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus says these are the sorts of things that really matter. Because these things are breaking God's commands, not man's traditions. These are what truly defile someone. 
And so Jesus is doing this prophetic ministry again. He's, he's calling people back to the covenant. He's reminding them, come back to God, return to God, return to his commands. Don't forget. And he's reminding us again of the Ten Commandments. And any good Jew who would have been in Jesus' audience listening to him talk there would know that the Ten Commandments begin with this phrase. Here it is. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is the vision statement of the Ten Commandments. God has delivered you from slavery. He has made you a new creation, a new nation. And so obeying the Ten Commandments that follow are now a response to what God has done. God saved Israel. He saved them and then he taught them how he wanted them to live with him and with one another. This, friends, the Ten Commandments is the life that he was delivering them into. He was pulling them out of slavery, and that was wonderful, but he was bringing them into new life with him and with each other. Christian, I wonder, has he done that for you? Has he redeemed you from slavery to sin? If so, can I just get an amen? Amen. Amen. But you know what? You can't let the story end there. You can't let the story end there because if, if he redeemed you from slavery, he did it in order to bring you into new life with him and with others. And so this beginning of the Ten Commandments, it shows us again, God is wholeheartedly devoted to us, so we should be wholeheartedly devoted to him. And you have to make that connection here, because otherwise what Jesus is talking about, it just feels like this list of rules that have been broken. But that is exactly, this is exactly why Jesus is reminding us of the Ten Commandments, because he wants our hearts. He wants us to know God. And one sign that we are devoted to him is to live by his wise instruction. Now, last week we saw Jesus quote one of the Ten Commandments. He quoted, honor your father and mother. Kids, can you say that with me? Honor your father and mother. Very good. This week he references several more of the Ten Commandments. And what I want to do with you as I'm sort of wrapping up our time together is I want you to think of this list that Jesus makes, and as we do, I want you to consider which of these ways have you been defiled? Which of these ways have you been defiled? And why am I asking you that? Why am I asking you to do that? The reason is I want you to see yourself clearly so that you can truly find cleansing for all of your sin in Jesus. You get that? You can't find cleansing for your sin in Jesus if you can't see yourself clearly, if you can't actually identify what needs to be clean. And so please go with me into looking very microscopically into our own hearts and into our own sin together, but I want you to know I won't end it there, okay? I won't, we won't end the story at the place of our own sin. Jesus mentions in verse 19, he he talks about murder coming out of the heart. And and murder in the, the Ten Commandments would have included killing, 
killing someone on purpose, but it also would have included manslaughter. Now, most of us haven't killed anyone, or have we? You know, killing a person in the womb is still killing a person. And sadly, many of us have done that. But even if you haven't, remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that if you murder, uh, that, that you can murder someone in your heart through your own anger and through your own hatred toward them. So I wonder, have you been defiled in this way? I'm sure most, if not all of us, have. Then Jesus mentions adultery. Adultery is forsaking your marriage covenant in order to sleep with someone else. And you may not have ever committed adultery, but you've got to remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says anyone who looks at someone with lustful intent has broken this command. And it's closely tied to the next one that Jesus mentions here, sexual immorality. Any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman. So I wonder, have you been defiled in this way? I'm guessing most of us have, if not all of us. Theft. This is literally taking something that doesn't belong to you. But you got to remember, the Ten Commandments also include not coveting, and so that's allowing your desire for something that someone else has to actually govern how you relate to them and, and, and govern your heart. And so I wonder, have you been defiled in this way, in terms of theft and covetousness? Or how about false witness? This is deliberately lying and it was mainly in thinking about it in the context of court, but it could also include false accusations of someone in order to defame them or to harm them. Have you ever done that? Very similar to slander. It's another word that Jesus mentions here. Slander, the, the word translated slander is literally the Greek word blasphemia. It's where we get our word blasphemy. So this could also include taking the Lord's name in vain and defaming Him and His glory. And so I wonder, have you been defiled in this way? Now, if by some absolute miracle you've managed to avoid all of these sins, then there's one that Jesus adds to all of it. It's not necessarily in the Ten Commandments. It's right at the beginning of the list. He says, evil thoughts, evil thoughts. Now, we know that we are capable of conceiving all sorts of evil. Amen? Conceiving of all sorts of evil. At the same time, we need to also remember that we have an enemy who is evil, who likes to plant evil ideas in our heads. So we have to be careful not to feel guilty over thoughts that the enemy has placed in our minds to try and get us to embrace it. But the thing is, whether it came from the enemy or from within us, any evil thought can become ours when we entertain them, when we mull on them enough to give birth to a desire in our own hearts. So I wonder... Have you been defiled in this way too? 
Who's never had an evil thought? The answer is nobody besides Jesus. All of us have. And so what is Jesus trying to do here? What, what is he trying to get us to conclude? He's trying to get us to conclude that what defiles a person is sin because it's breaking God's commands and sinning against God which defiles our souls. And, and then number two, the thing that Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to get us to see who, who are the people who are defiled? And the answer is, anybody? Who are the people who are defiled? All of us. That's what he's trying to do. Now, earlier we heard about how Jesus offended the Pharisees, but I wonder, are you offended now? I am. This is offensive, right? This is offensive to our pride. And so why did I ask you to consider the ways that you were defiled? It's because I want you to recognize it so you can come and find cleansing in Jesus. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's creating a problem for us that he doesn't even solve until his death, burial, and resurrection. He's deliberately offending in us a, a spirit of pride that says, I'm okay, I'm good, I don't need any help, I can just sit here and wash my hands. That'll take care of it. I'll just, you know, uh, make myself look good on the outside. I'll just do all the, the things that my culture tells me are, are the good deeds so that I look good to everybody else. And Jesus says, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. Friends, we have a defilement problem. Yeah, we try to deal with it in different ways. You can try to convince yourself that you aren't defiled. Or maybe you just, you know you're defiled and you're walking around with this weight of guilt as though there's nothing that can be done about it. Some of us even deliberately, we're like, we know how wicked we are and so we just live into that. That's my identity, that's who I am. I'm just gonna live in utter rebellion. But friends, for whatever ways you've tried to deal with your own defilement, whatever ways you've tried to wash your own hands, there's only one remedy, and his name is Jesus. Amen. See, just as eating with unwashed hands does not defile anyone, washing our hands doesn't cleanse our souls. Yeah, we can wash our own hands, but we can't cleanse our souls. And this really is the bad news that Jesus wants us to hear. We have to hear the bad news sometimes before we can even receive the good news. Here's the bad news. You can't wash your soul. It's not going to happen. And your soul is filthy. But friends, that's what leads us to the good news. Jesus makes the unclean clean. Jesus is the healer who takes all of our sinful defilement, all of our uncleanness, all of our filth onto himself at the cross. Why? So that he can heal us, so that he can cleanse us, so that he can redeem us into, restore us into God's intended purpose for us, into his image. Friends, that's what God is up to in the the history of humanity. That's what God's purpose is. He wants to heal you. He wants to cleanse you. 
You know, hundreds of years after the Ten Commandments were written, God promised what he would accomplish through the coming Messiah. Here's what he said. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. If you're feeling filthy today, turn to the Messiah. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Friends, in Christ, he's done this. He's done this. In Christ, he's dealt with our defilement. He's dealt with our filth. And so here's the good news. Jesus Christ can cleanse you from your murderous ways. Jesus Christ can cleanse you from your heart of adultery. Jesus Christ can cleanse you from your sexual immorality. He can cleanse you from your heart from its covetous thievery. He can cleanse your heart from its lies and from its slander. He can cleanse your heart from all of those evil thoughts. And more than that, he can make you into a new person. Because that's what we really need. He can replace your old heart with a new one, one that's governed by his spirit where he is the one who wrote God's commands and now he will write them on your heart so you actually have the desire and the power to change. And if, if, Jesus, if Jesus has done this for you, can you just testify? You just say amen. amen. Yes, we can wash our own hands. We cannot wash our own souls. And yes, that's offensive to our pride, but when you realize that Jesus can and will wash your soul, you realize this is the best news ever. It's the best feeling ever. It's a thousand times better than that shower I had in Scotland, let me tell you. And so come to Jesus for healing today. Come to him and be clean. A couple of community group instructions. In what ways do we try to wash our hands? Don't make that personal. Don't try and point the finger at other people. How, how do you tend to try and wash your own hands? How does this short circuit the cleansing that Jesus offers us? And then here's a spiritual discipline. You guys might feel weird about this. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. I think it'll be awesome though. Check this out. Take turns washing your hands together, one person at a time maybe, and say to each other, just as you've cleaned your hands, Jesus has cleansed your soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for not leaving us to our own devices to try and figure out ways to deal with our defilement on our own. Thank you, God, that we can't and that we need you. I'll also say thank you, God, for these kids who have been so good during this service and have listened and kept quiet and participated and God, thank you for each one of them. I pray now for our hearts as we turn to you in communion and singing and responding that, God, you would make these realities a reality in our souls. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.